Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, Nick and I bring on Darren Mitchell, who is the author of Be the Bank, How the Wealthy Control and Compound Their Money, and How You Can Too. We stumbled across this book. We actually had it come across our desk. We put it aside for a couple of months, finally read it, and it kind of blew our minds because we dismiss insurance a lot. I'm sure if Darren's listening to this, he's just going to love this intro. We dismissed insurance a lot because we just think we're always over-insured. You know, when we look at inflation-adjusted numbers and some of our insurance policies. We're like, oh, are these really worth anything? But then we stumbled across the Be The Bank strategy in high cash value life insurance, and it really made our scratch, made ourselves scratch our heads a little bit and question if our beliefs around insurance were really accurate. When we looked at this particular strategy, it seemed to us that there were some benefits that we were completely unaware of. So that's what Darren is going to do on this call. So he's a real estate investor himself. The Be, his Be The Bank book is an Amazon bestseller. Um, so you're in good hands with him. He has a URL that he hands out uh, towards the end of the book if you want to kind of reach out or learn more, or you can just pick up a copy of his book. I really think you're going to enjoy his breakdown of how to use and leverage life insurance policies to your advantage. So if you are listening to this and you also are a real estate investor or thinking about getting into the real estate investing world, there are some reports we highly recommend that you look at. And the reason for that is a lot of people are scratching their heads as to why real estate prices in this country are doing what they're doing. There is something called M2 or the broad money supply here in Canada. And year over year, it's increased about 19 or 20%. And that's a big reason that real estate prices across the country have acted the way they've acted. But there are also different things that we think are greatly underreported. One of them in the Golden Horseshoe area is the population base here and, and the impact of demographics. You can get the latest edition of our population report at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports. So if you want some charts and data on what's happening to the population base here in the greater Toronto area, you can pick up that report. It's absolutely astonishing that this is not discussed more. Our population growth rate in this area is absolutely phenomenal. Toronto as a metropolitan center last year, I think it was the year before COVID. So what's that 2019 was the fastest growing metropolitan center in North America. So this is not discussed as, as widely as we think it should be. You can get some charts and data around that kind of stuff. It's a really important to real estate investors. It's almost like there's a treasure map here in Golden Horseshoe on where to buy properties if you just know what you're looking for. So we outline all of that in that report at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports. That's enough with this intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we are live with Darren Mitchell, and I don't know how this has happened, but a Nova Scotia boy has somehow infiltrated this podcast. I don't know if we've ever had anyone from Nova Scotia on the podcast, Darren. So you are setting a new precedent here. Congratulations. This Thank is a you. new achievement for the podcast. So welcome. Thank you. So like, like, tell us how you got here. I think part of it, I think, I think you sent us a copy of your book or I stumbled across a copy of your book, kind of looked at it, be the bank. And I thought, oh, here's someone else who knows what they're doing, putting some stuff in a book. And I think it took me like three months to get to your book. And then I instantly regretted taking three months to get to your book. So can you give us a little bit of a background as we dive into this? Who are you? What are you about? How did you write this book, Be the Bank? Give us the story. Sure. So, so I, um, you know, started as a financial advisor, the traditional way, you know, did my economics degree, MBA, CFP, all that stuff. Uh, but really 2008 was the game changer for me. Just like there's going to be some silver linings that come out of COVID. There was a silver lining that came out of 2008 for me. So there I am fishing in Alaska with my buddy. We're having a great old time. And all of a sudden the market starts dropping like a thousand points an hour. And I'm literally riding up to the top of the hill to try to get cell coverage to say, call the office going, Oh, how bad is it now? How bad is it now? And, and anyways, for me, that was the game changer. Like, holy crap, I'm not in control. I'm not in control of what's going on with my money. And I'm certainly not in control of what's going on with my client's money. Now, 
no big, no, no big deal for me financially because I was in my thirties. Great. I get lots of time, but I was like, I don't want to be in my forties, fifties, sixties, and seventies and, and have something like that happen to me. So that's when I went on this sort of educational crusade that I literally started going to the States every, every six weeks for education that I was paying for as an advisor, every other piece of education I got was biased as heck because it came from the insurance companies the mutual fund companies, the banks. So when I actually started paying for my own education, it was just, it was like a, like an eye opener. My mind was just blown. And then I started learning from some of these mentors and like, it's amazing how people will just share, share stuff with you, let you in their house. I stayed at one of my mentors house in Florida and he's like, yeah, well, if you're coming out, why don't you stay? And I just learned from all these people that are dealing with the wealthy. And I just started studying the wealthy people and I learned everything they're doing is the exact opposite of what the middle class is doing. So, so that kind of transformed my business. And, and I, I kind of got, I, I got away from the traditional financial planning and now I exclusively work with real estate investors and business owners across the country. Um, and, you know, that, that evolved to successful business. And then it, you know, couple of years ago, I started had this book idea. And that's a really how I got to, to write the book, Be the Bank, Amazon bestseller. It's been a huge success. And uh, yeah, I love it. It's, a, it's such a well-written book too, because it's so clear. Like I think sometimes people write books that are very complicated. So we'll get into it. So talk us through some of your favorite parts of the book. I think some of your favorite parts are the typical planning, typical financial planning has failed and or this hierarchy of wealth. Yeah. Can you can you talk about these couple points and then we'll kind of dive into the the, the whole big idea of the book. Yeah, well, I, you know, it's it's funny and I, and I used to be a traditional financial advisor, but it's like, you know, what are some of the premises they go by? It's number one, um, tell you what, um, if you work with me as an advisor, I'm going to I'm going to do such a good job that you're going to be poorer in retirement than you are now. And you're going to be in that lower tax bracket. Like that, that was the oh, rationale. Those are, fighting, those are fighting words there. Those are fighting words. That's how I, I've always thought about it as well, though. Contribute like, to your RSP and then only take money out when your income is lower because you'll be at this lower tax bracket and you'll be able to benefit by taking the money out of a lower tax bracket and it'll grow tax-free during all this time. But in my mind, I could not stop thinking about, wait a second. I'm going to work my whole life and then I'm going to live off less income. This is my future. Like it was such like this demoralizing goal. It was like get tax free benefits now so that you could live poorer when you're older. You know, okay. just I never, it never jived with who I am as a person. Like it always just freaked me out. Anyway, keep going. Keep going. That doesn't make sense. So, you know, I started looking at, Okay, all the wealthy people I've ever dealt with, all the people I've met, I've mentored under, I've studied, I've, I've uh, you know, stalked online and watched what, what they're doing. Every one of these wealthy people in North America that became wealthy have done one of three things. They've invested in themselves, they've invested in real estate, or they've started a business. Like, that's it. You want, you want the secret of, 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 of getting ahead. Well, that's it. So, so if that's how you're going to become wealthy and that's how every wealthy person I deal with became wealthy, you know, an investment in you is, you know, if you want to be a real estate investor, you, you join a real estate investing group, group, you get a coach, you, you learn to be how, how to become a better real estate investor. You know, I, I pick Bitcoin. When I say real estate, I also mean hard assets like uh, gold, silver, and Bitcoin. So, you know, read oh, here we go. These. Here we go. You preach, you right, preach. Just got this one today. But if you buy into you, your business, real estate, and other hard assets are where you're going to make money. Well, how could you possibly say to a, say to a person, you know what? I think you should give up control of your money, put it in an RSP, let it sit there for the next 30 years. So you can invest in you, your business and real estate or hard assets. And then then we'll give it back piece by piece in retirement. So, so, you know, I came up with this, a lot of us came up with this hierarchy of wealth and we said, all right, if we're going to build sort of a, a wealth plan, what's the base need to look like? And just like the base of your, your house or your building, the foundation is the most important part. Well, for me, the foundation is the most important part of your financial plan, but it's got to be a position of control. Because if you're in control of your money, well, then we can redeploy to you, your business, real estate. But if you're not in control, well, then you can't, you can't make those type of investments. So, you know, from a control perspective, you're really limited to, to, to a bucket and that's going to either include cash, cash equivalents, 
or this cash value life insurance. And that's really where I gravitated towards because there's so many advantages of this cash value life insurance over just cash. But that's really step one of a financial plan is you need a strong access to money controlled. And then once we get that access to money, what this cash value life insurance allows us to do is multiply the money. So we can literally take money and multiply it. And then we put it back into you, a business, real estate, gold, silver, Bitcoin. But that's where true wealth is made. The idea that we would give up control, put it in a, in a nice balanced mutual fund and wait 50 years just, just doesn't make sense to me. Okay. So Nick and I have um, life insurance policies. Over the years, I've, I, have, I still have some term life insurance. Just because it was so cheap to renew it, I'm like, I'm just not going to give that stuff up. So I, I still have some term life insurance, but we have some whole life insurance policies as well. But your book introduced us to the idea of a high cash value in life insurance policy. We had never heard those terms before and I wasn't really familiar with them. So can you just, I don't know if it's by way of example or can you just explain what that is so that anyone listening to this gets an understanding of what you're referring to about this high cash value life insurance and why you consider it the base of your investing or your wealth or however you want to describe it? Yeah, so, so traditional whole life insurance, really, you know, that's the kind of you probably have or your, your parents bought when don't you were- make fun, Don't make fun of my insurance policies. No, okay? no, it's more Nick's I, making fun of. Yeah, here. good, make fun of Nick's. Yeah, make uh, fun of Nick's. So, so, you know, eventually your cash grows and your death benefit grows, but really for the first five years, you have next to no cash values. And then eventually, you know, maybe after 10 or 12 years, you have some, some cash value. Well, that just doesn't work for, for me and my clients because- we want to invest in real estate. We want to invest in business, et cetera. So the way it's, just, it's the way we design the company or the contract. And there's only a couple different companies that we can use. So we get to the specific company that we can use, and then we design it to really front end, front end fund it so we can build cash value sooner rather than later. So you're still going to be underwater year one in an insurance contract. But once we get through year one, then we're going to start growing by basically what we're putting in. And then after two or three years, you know, long-term, we're going to compound somewhere around that four to 5%, maybe a little, a little higher, a little lower, depending upon your age. But once we start compounding tax-free at that four or 5%, and again, you know, we all have that sort of one exponential growth curve in our life. But once we get that compounding, that's how we multiply money. So we say, you know, great, uh, I'm closing on a fourplex uh, later this month. And so it's up, up north, your province. Um, you can say it, Ontario. It's not Ontario. that bad of a problem. Ontario. We're in full lockdown and we can't do anything here, but- We're in lockdown too. Oh yeah, you guys are actually, I think you guys are even crazier. No, you, we can't even, we're not, Ontarians, are we even allowed to travel and visit you? I don't think we can. No. Be thrown in jail. No. Jeez, what a world. What so, a world. Okay. So it's four plex of mine, so it's- uh, Wait a second. I didn't ask the important question. I forgot. What, what, what is your favorite hockey team? Oh no, you're a Habs fan? Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh, shh. no, you're, I didn't yes. buy that. I didn't buy that answer. Yes, you it's set not, me up there too. Yes. No, no, well, you know, is, I also a little, little Pittsburgh Penguins, Sydney Crosby. Yeah, Crosby. Players. I was going to say Crosby. I saw, I saw him win the cup in Detroit. I flew up for that game. Oh, did you? Awesome. Oh, a friend of mine was there too. Yeah. Okay. So you're a Penguins fan, first and well, foremost. Penguins, yeah. yeah. And then Toronto. Okay. I thought you were going to say Habs fan. Oh, no, no. We're okay. We're okay. No, so sorry. Keep going. Keep going. Gonna... Problems I'm not licensing. So no. Or, there we go. Okay. All right. Go back. Go um, back. So no, great. So okay. I got this policy now compounding, right? So instead of cashing it out, like, you know, most people like compound interest, I, my analogy is always in snowball, right? So we start a snowball, we start it rolling and you roll it, roll it, roll it. Then, you, you know, you save 40 grand or 50 grand. And then what do most people do? They smash it. And then they start with a new snowball. So they save, pay cash, save, pay cash. But what we want to do with this policy, specially designed policies, what if we could roll that snowball for the next 40, 50, 60 years? Well, that'd be one big old snowball. And that's really what this compound interest is. So, so I've got a bunch of these policies that for, for myself and my family, they're compounding, they're rolling, but now great, I want to go buy a fourplex. So what do I do? I call up the insurance company and I say, I like the way my money's compounding. So why don't you loan me $90,000 of your money so I can make the down payment on this property. And then I'm going to finance the rest. So it's about 440, 90 grand down, 350 mortgage. So now really, you know, my policy is unaffected by this because if I have a loan on my policy, it doesn't affect the growth. It's still growing. 
So great, I'm going to use the cash flow for the from this bar property to start paying back that loan, and then hopefully in a year, because we're hoping the, the the prices continue to increase, year or two, we'll refinance that, pay back the insurance policy loan, and my policy was completely unaffected. I've literally multiplied dollars. I've treated this like an and asset. Every other asset you have is an or asset. Do I put money into a TFSA? or do I join a real estate group? Do I put money in an RSP or do I put it in real estate? This is truly an and asset. I have money in my cash value life insurance policy and I'm doing real estate and I'm joining a real estate group and I'm doing Bitcoin and I'm doing when the market crashes 58% next Wednesday, maybe I'll buy the market at the bottom. Okay, so just if I can recap this a little bit because you're covering a lot of great points here is the way I'm understanding you is that when I first looked at life insurance, the reason it took so long for Nick and I to buy whole life insurance is my argument with the life insurance guys that uh, we were dealing with, that we still deal, deal with, that are friends of ours, was always, well, inflation adjusted, I feel like the policy is going to pay out some dollar value that I don't know if it's going to be worth really of anything to me. So I'm going to buy this policy, but really it's just to protect my family and I don't really believe in it, but I'm going to buy it. Like, so it was always this, like, I'm going to do it, but I kind of hate it. You know, this, this kind of tug of war thing, my just inflation adjusted the dollars. If it was ever to pay out, I'm always like, ah, I don't really think there's going to be anything there. But then what you're describing is very interesting to me because what you're saying is you contribute to a policy for a few years. You use the words, the first year you might be underwater, meaning that the first year you might not be able to extract anything out of it. But you, you, you contribute to the policy for a few years, and maybe after two, three, or four years of con contributing to this, your policy is growing. But not only can your policy continue to grow, you're able to extract money out of the policy, which you can then go use as a down payment on the fourplex that you just described here in Ontario, or to buy some Bitcoin, or to invest in some stocks if there's a crash that you want to invest in. So that's why you're saying you can have your insurance policy continue to grow. You're not affecting the compound growth of the policy. So it's continuing to grow. And that's why you're calling it an and asset. And you can extract money from the policy and do with that money as you see fit. And is it truly as you see fit? Like, can I do anything I want with that money? Or when I go to extract money from the policy, is there some sort of limitations to it? Yeah, the insurance company is going to ask you two questions when you go to get a loan. They're going to ask you, Tom, do you want a check or do you want it deposited in your bank account? That's it. This is unbelievable to me. So you can like, pay that loan back when you want, how you want, if you want. Now, if you're young and, and you're, you're, you know, we want you to pay that loan back because as soon as you pay it back, then you can reborrow and use it again and again and again. But, you know, to your point of, Traditional life insurance is great. You buy that to look after, you know, your family after you're, after you're dead and gone. Well, this, this participating whole life ca cash value life insurance, you're buying this for you because you can use it, continue to use it at the same time you save for retirement. So I continue to use this, say, for the next 20 years. And then great, I get to be 65, 70 or whatever. And I'm like, all right, what do I do with this thing now? Well, now I'm going to take these tax-free loans and these loans I'm just never going to pay back because these loans now will just get subtracted from the death benefit. So the death benefit is always gonna be higher than your cash value and your cash value is always higher than your loan because you can only borrow 90%. So there's still gonna be money left over for the next generation, but I get to decide basically how much of my own death benefit I get to spend. I mean, technically I'm borrowing against the cash value, but if you think of it, you know, if I have a million dollars of cash value and $2 million of death benefit, well, maybe I'll spend half a million dollars tax-free loans to myself in retirement, or maybe I'll take a hundred grand a year to top up my retirement income completely tax-free, but I can pull that lever and make that decision down the road. But the whole time I'm saving for the, for down the road, I'm continuing to use my money while it's growing at the same time and provide a death benefit. So it's in the policy, it's in the real estate and providing a death benefit. And so when I take the loan, I guess I'm just not very familiar with banks who are willing to do that, but you're saying there are banks who will give me a loan using this high cash value life insurance policy as collateral. Those yeah, so exist in Canada. I know you've answered this question for me before, I guess just because I've never done it yet. I'm sure. just, I need to keep hearing it. These yeah. banks exist. 
So, the, so there's two types of loans. So the first number of years, we're just going to use a policy loan. And a policy loan is just what you call the insurance company. We're not involving a bank whatsoever. Now, later on, as we get more cash in there, we, we can get some better rates. And when you hit retirement, then we're going to use a bank loan. So there's a few online banks that do it. But I, I just I just got a uh, quote the other day from RBC to do it. Now, if you walk into your local um, RBC or, or, or Bank of Nova Scotia or, or whatever, they're going to look at you like you're crazy. There's a few people that do this in the country for for the for the, each each bank, um, but yeah, there's a couple online banks. I mean, Manu Bank is the big one. You can just Google cash surrender value loans, and that'll that'll pop up. And the and their different rates depending upon the amount. Um, but yeah, in the early years, we don't really need to involve the banks. It's as simple as calling up the insurance company and saying, "Hey, can I can I have some money?" And those early years, that's a you're referring to that as a policy loan. Is that was that the language? Policy loan. The policy loans that you're borrowing from the insurance company. You're not borrowing from a bank. Okay. And the reason that you would do a bank later, I guess the bank offers more competitive rates. Maybe you're going to get more competitive rates. Okay. Tax stuff that's beyond today's talk down in down in retirement. But yeah, so typically early on, first 10, 15 years, policy loan. Later on, we're going to use the bank loan. If you're borrowing money for two years, whether you're paying. 4.45% or 3.8% interest, who cares? But if you're borrowing money in retirement for 25 years, well, great. We want to make sure that interest sure. low as possible. Okay. And then when I make these, if I do, if I do try to extract some money from my policy to use to basically double my money, you know, double my money and and or even beyond actually, and, and put it into real estate or or whatever else. Am I then responsible for, I guess, monthly insurance uh, interest payments on the loan? How does the you know the typical interest payment work with these things? Yeah. So again, the the the, the policy loan that I'm used for my policy that I you know used for the condo in Mississauga last year that is you pay it back. It's an unstructured loan. So an unstructured loan means you pay it back when you want, how you want, and if you want. So again, if I deal with people that'll do flips and those are a burst strategy. And they're like, great, I need a hundred grand to go do this burst strategy. I'm not going to make any payments until six or 12 months, however long it takes to turn one unit into two and, and, and refinance that. Well, great. You don't need to make a payment. So there's no required payment. You can, you can decide. Again, in the early years, we want you to make a repayment. You know, taking a year or two making no payment, no big deal. But we don't want you to go the next 50 years without making it. Why, why is that? Well, then your, your interest is going to snowball as well. Oh, got so, it. Okay. So your interest really is a snowball and retirement, the eventual, yeah. Yeah. In retirement, you don't have as many years for your interest to snowball. So, so that's when the, those loans, we don't need to pay back. But if you're 35 and you take a loan out today and never pay it back, well, you're going to, you're going to snowball that interest as well. So those are the loans we want you to pay back over a reasonable period of time. But again, the key is you're totally in control. So let's say you're paying back that loan and two grand a month or something you're paying back. $90,000 loan. And all of a sudden, you know, 10, 20 months into this financial disaster hits you or an amazing opportunity comes your way. Well, you're the bank. You, you don't have to convince the bank, hey, is it okay if I stop my payments? You are the bank, you're in charge. So great, let's stop that payment. And that 40 grand I, I paid back in the last 20 months, let's reborrow that and put it right back into my bank account tomorrow so I can go take advantage of this opportunity. And the five grand that my policy continued to grow while I had this loan because it was unaffected by the loan, let's borrow that as well. So now I like 45 grand to go take advantage of this opportunity. And I'm not trying to convince a bank that this is a good opportunity. You should loan me money. I am the bank. I'm making the decision. I control it. I multiply it. I compound it for the rest of my life. And then I have the option to, to basically borrow against it tax-free in retirement. So, you know, the whole time providing a life insurance benefit. Um, so if someone was to do this, how many, is, is it, is, is there like a rule of thumb? Like, oh, you can't tax. Cause I guess, I guess selfishly the thought that goes through my mind, I'm sure other people's mind as well is like, oh, I'll open one of these policies today. Can I get the money today? How, how, how soon after opening a policy, can you start extracting? Is it like, or is there like a rough rule of thumb or is it always the same? Is it like, you're never extracting until your second year into the policy or third year into the policy. How, how does that work? Yeah, it's usually like two to 12 months, depending upon which company. So the four companies we use, they will have different, uh, okay. different things. So depending upon the circumstance. Now, again, keeping in mind, year one, there's not, you know, it, you might have 70%, 60 to 80%, somewhere in there of, of cash value of what you put in. 
So if you put in, you know, 20 grand, well, you might have 15 or 16 grand of cash that you can borrow 90% of. So, so year one, you're, you know, you're not, even if you're allowed to borrow, which you can with three of the four companies in the first 12 months, you're still not going to have a huge amount, but you do have access to it hundred percent. Okay. And then if you do borrow immediately, does that, I guess, then reduce how much you can borrow going forward in some capacity because the, the policy hasn't had a chance to like compound its growth or something? Like, is there a little bit of benefit to just waiting like two years before you start borrowing from this thing or no? Yeah. I mean, in, in a perfect world, you're going to pay that second premium before you borrow just because once you pay that second premium, you literally have enough cash in there now that you could you could take five years off from making a payment because in the second year, your cash now is always going to be higher than your premium payment. So come year three, you could actually borrow from the policy to make the premium payment and do that again the next year, the next year, the next year, and then sell a property and go make up those missed payments. So you have that flexibility, but you got to get to year two. Now, year two is really 12 months in a day, right? Because if you're paying annually sure. yep. you pay today and then you pay 12 months in a day from now, the second policy. So in a perfect world, you get you get to that point and then, yeah, and then you you borrow away. What, what are some of the dynamics of this just from like a day-to-day thing? Is this life insurance policy something I log into an online website where I can kind of see the balances and stuff? Like, I know that's like a, a minutia type question, but I'm just curious, like, do you, can you log in and see this stuff? Because uh, the reason I'm asking, I guess, is the, the whole life insurance policy I have, I have this like book that's like this thick and I don't really know what's going on. I just look at the book sometimes and I tell my wife, if anything happens to me, this policy with this a book, it's important. <laughs> just, I, mean, I, it, I like those policies if you can't sleep some night they're great they're just, <laughs> yeah so, but, so uh, yeah like can you log in like is this like an you know is, is it like a bank that i can log into or no it's you get statements and you you kind of do it over the phone yeah so so it's not like the stock market where the money the st- it's going up and down in value each uh, each day the dividends declared once a year so once a year they're saying great the dividend this year six percent and then basically your cash value grows every single day. And then we know what it's going to be at the end of the year based upon the dividend. So, you know, today it might be worth 10,500 and tomorrow it's 10,540. So there's one company that allows you to access online, online to get the thing. The other three don't, they've been promising for four years and then COVID hit. So that was another great excuse, but eventually they'll all be there, but we have that in our office. So that's part of our, you know, if you want to know what, what's going on, but you know, I got a lot of calls last March when the market started crashing and COVID happened and people are like, what's going on with my whole life. And I'm like, um, it's going up in value every single day. Like it has for the last 150 years. And they're like, Oh, why am I worried? I'm like, I don't know. It's, you know, it's boring, but effective. It's a, a, it's none of the companies we deal with has, have ever missed a dividend. The oldest company goes back to 1846. So the newest company we use has a hundred year track record, world war, depression, Spanish flu, COVID.com doesn't matter dividend each and every one of those years. And the reason for that, and and sorry, I don't know if you know this answer or not, but the reason for that are these insurance companies are like old cooperatives or old mutual, I don't know the right language I'm trying, I'm searching for here, but they're basically put together to protect the all the insured people. Like when you buy an insurance policy in these companies, you're, you're like part owner of this thing. Yeah, Am exactly. I, is this sounding, can you help maybe make yeah, this sound sure. a little more intelligent? So, so, so there's one mutual company, the other three are participating, kind of sim- similar idea. But let's say this, these, these whole life funds of, you know, 12, 20 billion dollars been around for 100 plus years. Well, those funds actually aren't owned by the insurance company. So it's almost like there's a there's a line down between the insurance company assets, the shareholders own all the other pieces of their business. And then this piece of business would be the participating whole life fund is actually owned by the policyholders. So they, they, if you think of the fund, say, take the $12 billion fund, they collect premiums, they invest that money, and we'll talk about what they invest in, they invest that money, and then they pay death claims. But each year, going back 100 plus years, that investment of that money, they ended up paying a dividend. And the dividend basically gets paid out to the shareholders that own a participating whole life policy, and it grows to increase their cash and their death benefit. Now we'll focus as much on the cash value as we can. That's our goal to grow that. The death benefits, the bonus. Okay, got it. And because there's that hard line between those assets, 
then the assets, whatever's earned in those assets is shared kind of equally. And that's how the fund survives. I got it. Okay. There's that divide between like the corporate entity itself and the investments and the corporate entity isn't really benefiting specifically from those investments that are on the other side of that hard line. The corporate entity could invest in its own things for its shareholders, but it's not part of that base of assets that make up this insurance structure. Yeah, they're going to get a tiny uh, administration fee to manage manage the thing, uh, manage the plan. But that's actually federally regulated what they're allowed to charge, and it's probably the lowest lowest fee you're ever going to see in one of those type of investments. Now, with billions of dollars, don't feel bad for them, um, but that's federally regulated what they're allowed to charge. And then the only other one is there is one company in Canada that's a mutual company, and that company, the entire company, is owned by the participating whole life policy holders. So, or the whole life policy holders. So. Every part of the company, the profits from that benefit the benefit the policyholders from the whole life fund. Got it. Okay, it's just a shame that I was, you know, I'm not educated in this stuff. I'm just learning more and more about it in the last few years, and that we're not exposed to this stuff. Um, so, Darren, this is great that you're explaining this. Thank you. So, so another question then: What is the like? Why do you use the language high cash value? You know, like for you, I think it's very simple. But are most policies not high cash value? And high cash value, meaning we can extract the cash as soon as humanly possible. Like in the example we were talking about, a year and a day kind of puts you into the second year and you can start extracting some cash or sooner. But just in that example, it's like that. Is that that the reason most policies, like a typical whole life insurance policy that I have is probably not a high cash value policy. So can you just outline the differences or compare the two? Sure. And it's, it's really how you design the policy from the get-go. So typically, you know, if someone goes, oh, I have a whole life policy and they bring it in and, and you know, we, we, we review it, you know, it has a death benefit of half a million or a million or $2 million and then a corresponding premium with that. Well, the, the policies uh, we do in our office, they, they start out with some funny numbers like death benefit of $411,316 because we're not focused on the death benefit. We're trying to drive the death benefit down as low as possible to fit as much cash in as we can. So we're doing kind of the opposite of what a typical insurance policy is, where they're starting with the death benefit. We're starting with the deposit. So if the deposit is, say, $20,000 a year, we're going to say, okay, what's the smallest death benefit we need to fit in that $20,000 so we can have as much cash with the lowest insurance costs. So again, just fundamentally different than what a typical insurance policy is, where the starting point is, let's come up, let's come up with a death benefit. This is, well, let's start with a deposit amount on how much we want to put in this tax-free uh, tax structure. Got it. Okay. So then I'm just thinking, would somebody have multiple high cash value life insurance policies, or do you just have one and you're always playing with that one, maybe increasing it, but the terms are set. So I guess you could have multiple high cash value policies. Is, is that proper thinking? Yeah. So I, I, have, I have seven, I'm doing two more. Okay. This year. So basically, you know, the first one I started was like, oh, that's all I'm ever going to need to put in a year. And then like after a year, it was like, hmm, this stuff's pretty good. Like maybe, maybe I'd like to put more in, but I couldn't fit more in that contract. So I started a new contract and then, then I have a policy on my, on my spouse and then I have corporate owned policies inside my holding company on, on my spouse and I, and then I have policies on my kids. So there's, you know, typically you'll see a series of policies over the years. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it, it, there's no limit on the amount of policies you can have. It's just, you know, as long as we can justify it for the insurance company, if you're, if you're making 10 grand a year and you have no net worth, we can't put a million dollars a year into an insurance policy. Yeah, got it. Okay. Okay. So then, so then I guess the question comes to mind, because this sounds amazing. This is amazing. The fact that I can contribute, I don't lose the compounding growth of the insurance policy. And I can also access the value of the policy to go invest in. I guess I'm just trying to think of the downsides of this. Would the downside of this type of policy be okay, the death benefit's not quite as good. So you might need a more typical, I, I don't know, typical or some other policy to really maximize your death benefit if that was important to you in your planning. Um, and, and anything else, what else am I missing here? Is that the biggest downside that maybe the death benefit here is not the same or as it, as it could be? Yeah, so in your, in your first couple years, you're gonna have a smaller death, a death benefit than you would in a traditional you know, uh, insurance plan. Um, but eventually, you know, at death, the cash value gets paid out 
plus the life insurance, which equals the total death benefit. So as we really drive that cash up, you see a you know, pretty rapid increase in your death benefit. So lots of people will say, well, great, can I, can I cancel my term insurance now that I have this, this? And it's like, well, depending upon how much you're putting in, you know, if you're putting significant amounts in, the corresponding death benefit will be high. But typically it's a, you know, maybe in five or 10 years, the death benefit will grow to a point where when that term comes up for renewal, the next one's not going to be cheap. The first one might have been, but the next renewal, well, great. Now I've got enough death benefit that I could perhaps I don't need that term. And, you know, we can make that that call at the time. Um, okay. Okay. And so, so that really the biggest thing to thing to be aware of is when you're doing something like this is just the commitment that you're making are typically these commitments, uh, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. I think the one I have right now for myself, I think is a 20 year commitment. Is that the biggest thing that someone should consider? Like, Hey, you're committing to this thing for, you know, X number of years. Yeah. Just, just one more point on that worst case scenario. Your worst case scenario is you, you make a deposit for one year and then you can't come up with deposit two. You know, in, in that case, if you put 20 grand in and you came up, can't come up with premium number two, you're probably getting that 14, $15,000 back. You're not losing everything, but you're, you're going to be out money. Mm-hmm. Um, now, as far as how many years, yeah, 20 years is a, is a typical payment, but you're not required to pay those 20 years because we're putting an extra amount in to drive the cash as fast as possible. You know, you could stop after seven or eight years and say, that's it, I'm done. Um, so, so because we're, you know, we're, we're not just paying the base premium, we're putting this extra amount in uh, to grow the cash. Now we have the option of paying for 20 years and some policies we have the option to pay all the way till age 90, uh, just depends you know, how old you are, which one makes the most sense. Uh, we're not going to put a 20 pay in on a, on a two-year-old because uh, we can do kids' policies. We want to give that option for them to be able to, or someone to be able to contribute for years to come. But you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s. Yeah, maybe a 20 pay makes sense. Okay. Again, all, all depends. Yeah, crazy stuff. It's like limitless opportunities here. So how are you working with real estate investors specifically? Are investors getting this to then use the money as down payments on future properties? Can you outline some of that? Just what are you seeing and how are you using this with the real estate investors? Yeah. So, you know, as a real estate investor myself, it's just, it's just such a natural fit. You know, I always laugh. I go, you're a real estate investor, you invest in Bitcoin, you, you, you have cash value life insurance. And you're dealing with a traditional financial advisor that tells you you should put money in RSPs and, 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 and have at it. So, you know, a lot of the people I deal with, well more than 50, 60% of my clients are real estate investors, uh, which I love because then I get to talk real estate every single day when I, when, I, when, I, when I talk to clients. But yeah, I mean, there's some that are using this for, you know, a burst strategy or a flip. There's some that are saving for down payments. There's some that are just using it as a, as a, an opportunity slash emergency fund to say, listen, you know, we need to store cash somewhere. Well, this is the ideal place to store that cash. So maybe, you know, I'm going to build up 50 or hundred grand that, you know, I can, I can access if I need it, you know, for, for myself, I call it my opportunity fund because how much money do you want to put in your opportunity fund? Well, I want to put a boatload. That's why I have seven policies because I'm putting a boatload in this opportunity fund. And then when that, you know, as one of my mentors said, if, if you have access to cash, opportunity will find you. So, you know, the, the biggest problem Canadians have and real estate investors included is they're just not saving money. So if, you, if you're gonna save money, well, I think this is the perfect place to save money before we redeploy it into real estate business, but Bitcoin, gold, silver, et cetera. So do you, you know, for years, I, I, I haven't had RRSPs. I, I sold the majority of my, not the majority, I sold all of my RRSPs that I did have that I hated to begin with. Like I just hated them. I don't know. I just, the fact that I think I have a control issue, Darren, if someone tells me I can't do something with my money, like extract it without them holding money at source back, that's just a problem for me. But I, I sold it to, to help start Rockstar. You know, when I quit my job, I, uh, my wife, uh, was, wor- I was at home with our two kids mortgage on the house. And I'm walking away from a really high paying job to go and start this business from scratch. So I needed funds. So I sold my RSP. And I remember when I was selling it, I would call the bank and then, and you know, I think I asked for like 10 or 20,000 bucks at one point, And they said, Oh, um, we're going to have to hold back. I think it was 20% or, or I, I forget the number. And I'm like, really? Like I said, no, 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 thanks. Give me the money. And then I'll claim that I took out the RSP and I'll pay my appropriate taxes. And they're like, oh no, the government mandates that we hold some money back at the source here. You can't even get it. I'm like, holy smokes, you're going to hold back money. That's my money. 
And I said, well, what about if I take out less? And I think the magic number was 5,000. I think if you took out 5,000, you, you were only held, they only held back 10%. Don't hold me to these numbers. It was, I think it was 10%. And I thought, okay, well, I'll take out $4,999 or 5,000 even, whatever it was. I'm like, oh, give me that. And then I called back the next day. Hi, it's Tom again. Can I please take out another $5,000? And I was doing this for several days to extract my RRSP money so that they would hold back the least amount possible. And the whole time I thought, this is ridiculous. This is my money. I can't even get my money. Like they're holding the tax back. And I know someone listening to this will say, oh, well, they would hold your tax backs back at source anyway when you're paid income, you know, paid your salary or whatever. But it still just bothered me. So uh, the whole RSP thing isn't my game at all. And I'd imagine hearing you go through this, it's not your game either. No, I mean, that's you, you're, you, you, you and Nick are a prime example. So you invested in a business and you invested in real estate, okay? And you've been, been very successful with that. Well, in, in order to do that, you needed control of your money and you didn't have control of your money and it was really hard, you know? Like, so I, I've got a, I, not a lot, but I've got a few clients in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in their twenties I was talking to recently. Uh, one guy who bought like a, like a 14 unit, another couple, they've, they've got a couple of properties. Um, and, you know, cause everyone I talk to, it's like, why didn't I figure out, you know, 20 years ago about this cash value life insurance and real estate. Um, so, you know, I look at these people like, you know, even my 20 year old son who, you know, would like to get into real estate, who would like to get into business. And it's like, well, we think what you should really do is give up control of your money, put it in a nice bounce mutual fund in an RSP for the next 51 years until you're 71. And then we'll riff it. And hopefully there'll be enough that, you know, you can get by each month. Like, but that's typical financial planning, not like it's got to invest in you, a business, real estate, because that's where wealth is made. It's like, no, no, let's let's put it in jail for 50 years. And then when it's out of, it's still going to be in jail because we're going to draw it out piece by piece. Uh, now, again, it's a double-edged sword. Control of your money is fantastic. If you are an entrepreneur, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you want to be in real estate, you want to invest in some, some hard assets. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to buy fancy cars and go to Vegas, you know, maybe RSP is the best for you. So that's, again, why I, why I like dealing with business owners and real estate investors because they get it. Yeah. And you said something earlier, I can't remember if we were recording or not recording, but investing in yourself has been the biggest thing I think for myself and Nick, just studying business and real estate and the economy and interest rates and and learning about things like this, Darren, you know, being your own bank with this high cash value life insurance, investing in yourself and your own education. It, I think when I was younger, I think I would not understand the real value of that. But now I get it, like all the books that you read, like, you know, it's kind of like the quality of energy you feel in your body is highly related to the quality of food that you put in your mouth. And I think the quality of thoughts you have around investing is highly correlated to the quality of information you put in your mind, you know, and and there's just nothing better than you can put. So to hear how you traveled around to mentors and stuff like that, Nick and I did the exact same thing, all going through the US paying people, literally paying them to hang out with them paying them sometimes large amounts of money that we really couldn't afford, you know, but just to learn from, from them so that we could do similar kinds of things. So investing in yourself is also like a big deal. And obviously you're a big, big proponent in that. Um, I'm curious, what do the investment come? You alluded to this just really briefly. What do the insurance companies themselves invest in? Cause I, I'm, you know, these guys are playing with big money and they they have a lot of obligations yeah. because they're insurance companies. What well, are they in? There's one company in the States that, uh, that is not, no, we don't deal in the States, but, uh, I think they just spent a hundred million dollars or invested a hundred million in Bitcoin. Yeah. That's mass yeah. mutual. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I open and that, that, that just that move alone tells you a lot about how they see the future world. Absolutely. The fact that they would do that. But, but, if, but if you take a traditional, like a yeah. uh, whole life fund, participating whole life fund, mutual whole life, um, uh, you know, let's see if 90% of millionaires in the past 200 years did it, by investing in real estate, how do you think these guys invest? They invest like real estate investors, right? So they and that fund would include bonds, it would include private lending, it would include mortgages, it would include real estate, and maybe 18, 20% in the stock market, but predominantly they're gonna invest like real estate investors um, because again, they can invest long-term. You sell a policy mm-hmm. to a 30-year-old, the, the actuary is looking at 50, 60 years before there's going to be a death claim. So they can do these long-term infrastructure projects, long-term real estate deals. But more, more importantly, that when you're investing tax-free, 
I mean, you know, you, you start investing tax-free through the years. You know, I got an example in my, in my book on, uh, on Mildred who left 10,000 or $7,000 and change to you a hundred years ago at 10% and it grew to a hundred million. So a hundred million dollars, that'd be pretty cool. The only problem is she lived in Canada, not the Caymans. So if you paid tax on that $7,000 at a hundred years at 10%, at 50% tax, it was worth less than a million. So, you know, you lose $99 million of the hundred in that example. Now, again, a hundred years is not realistic in our thing, but it just goes to illustrate that if you don't get a handle on how to manage those wealth destroyers, taxes, fees, volatility, and smashing that snowball or spending it, you know, the wealthier figure this out, you, you can look at the banks in the U.S. and they literally have billions of dollars of cash value life insurance. You know, there, there's a website you can go on to see how many. That's right. You know, I've forgotten that. Over the years, I've actually had charts on our economic updates about what banks hold. And I've always noticed that, but I've never really discussed it. But I've always seen that, that they have that. Now, they tell their customers to buy their mutual funds when they walk in the front door. But in the back door, in the back shop, they're buying, they're buying cash value whole life insurance. Um, and in today's world, I think with M2 in Canada, our, our broad currency increased 19% year over year. So like the hurdle rate for you just to keep up with the devaluation of the currency is about like 20% in this country right now, which is just astonishing. So you need vehicles like this to be able to just cross over that hurdle rate. Otherwise you're falling behind, but that's a whole other, other subject. I wanted to talk to you about kids. What should someone think about? Like, why would it be important to get your kids into this or late teenagers or who, and how would you go about thinking about that? So when someone comes to you, cause I, th I think immediately Nick and I started thinking about our kids. We're like, Holy smokes, you know, this is something that we should be looking at um, for them. Can you explain your thinking around kids and you know, what age and why it would be, you know, useful for them to be thinking about this now? Sure. So a couple things on kids, kids are secondary. So what I mean by that is on mom or dad first uh, or both, um, so, so we really need a policy on the parents first, because, you know, you talk to a 50, 40, 50 year old, well, that death benefit might not be our focus, but it's relevant because that's probably going to be paid in the next 30 years. So, you know, people say, well, let's put the policy on the kid and then it'll be cheaper. Well, it's not really cheaper. Your cash value is going to be the same. You're just going to have way more death benefit on the child for the same premium. And, and the insurance companies aren't going to let us to put 50 grand a year on a, $50,000 deposit on a child. So step one is sort of look after mom and or dad and say, great. And then step two is people are like, well, you know, I didn't start this till my thirties, forties or fifties. What if I had to start it back then? And the insurance companies will let us start a policy on anyone that's 14 days old or older. So then you start talking about that compound interest snowball and you roll it for 90, a hundred years plus. It's just, it's, it's unbelievable. But what's great about Canada is the tax laws are so beneficial with respect to, I own policies on my kids. I'm the payer, I'm the, I'm, I'm the, I'm the beneficiary and I control it, okay? So if I decide to cash it out and go to Vegas next month, that's okay, nothing to do with the kid. They just happen to be the insured. If I wanna borrow against it to do real estate, great. And assuming my kids continue to be great kids, my plan is to gift these policies to my children, say mid twenties. And any that tax-free growth I've had in the policy transfers them with no tax implications. And now they have the ability to say, well, great, I have X amount of dollars. Maybe I can borrow for the first house, first rental property, start a business, university, whatever it is. But then we've started that compound interest snowball, that curve. So they could even take 10 years off between 25 and 35, not make any contributions. And at 35, wake up and go, huh, maybe dad wasn't that dumb after all, maybe this is a good thing. And you can go back and make up those premiums. So, you know, it's just an incredible flexible tool to start saving tax-free. And then the last part is, you know, it's really multi-generational planning. Like, you know, I don't have any grandkids and hopefully no time soon, but you know, my, my 17 and 20 year old eventually will have kids. Well, the cash value is going to benefit them. They can start a business, real estate, whatever they want to do with it. But the future death benefit that's on my child's life, that's going to benefit the next generation because it's their kids that are going to benefit from the death benefit. So you're really doing this multi-generational planning. There's so much, I mean, there's just so much here. So if someone, what, what are we not covering that I should have asked you at this point? Have we covered kind of the base, the basics now? 
Yeah, I think so. I think your yeah. brain will be in full. You know, there's only so much, so much we can cover in one one session. But yeah, I guess the last part is it, there's also huge benefits, and I talk in the book about this of how this complements what you're already doing in retirement. And it just allows you to spend your money differently in retirement. So, you know, the simple example. So let's say you you sell your, your real estate portfolio and you get a million or two million bucks. All right. Well, the guy with no death benefit. OK, now, again, our focus is the cash. But in retirement, the death benefits relevant. He goes, well, maybe I'll just live off the interest because if I die at age 80, I need my, my family still protected. So I can't spend all my money. Well, if you have millions of dollars of death benefit because you've had a policy in place for a while, well, now you sell your rental properties. Well, well, maybe I'll, I don't say spend like a drunken sailor, but maybe a little bit. So now I have a couple million bucks and I spend it down and I die and there's only 300 grand left. Who cares if there's millions of dollars of death benefit? So it kind of gives you that permission slip to spend your money differently. And that's just one of like five strategies we can use. So again, it not just works well for the next 20, 30 years, but in retirement, it makes all the other things you're doing better. Awesome, Darren. If someone wanted to reach out to you, what's the best contact website? Um, can they make appointment with your office? Can you just walk us through the, you know, the best way to, to interact with you? Sure. So we've set up a, a landing page just for uh, Rockstar listeners. So if you go to www.controlandcompound.com forward slash Rockstar, uh, it'll bring you to a page where there's a free webinar so you can learn more about, about the topic. And, and there's a spot to enter your information to contact our office. If you want to have an appointment with one of us, uh, we're happy to, to have a conversation to see if it's a good fit. And then if it is a good fit, we'll 100% uh, share, or share our time and, and experience with you and show you what we're doing and then help you. And again, we, we do business in every province in Canada except Quebec. It's very rare for us to have an insurance person on and then, you know, recommend that uh, they hand out their URL like this, Darren. So you've done something right. You've done so. This is not our style. This is not our style. So you've, you've done something. So, and the full name of, of the book, Be the Bank, in case you want to find it on Amazon, right? It's Be yeah. the Bank. What's the subtitle of the book? Uh, How the Wealthy Control and Compound Their Money and You Can Too. So just go to Amazon and type in Be the Bank. It's going to pop up. Be the bank, Darren Mitchell, you'll find the book. It's a great read. I think I crushed through that in like half a day and it was amazing. Um, just the, the clarity of the book is really, really well done. So thank you for outlining that book. I think you're benefiting a lot of us, Darren, by putting that stuff together and sharing it around. So controllingcompound.com forward slash rockstar. If you're listening to this podcast and you want to get in touch with Darren's office, be the bank um, on amazon.ca and you'll find the book. Um, and the Darren, audio book as well. The and, audio sorry? Book. The audio book Amazon as well. Audio books on Amazon as well. Uh, uh, great. And uh, anything else, Darren, you'd like to share? No, this was great. I always always love talking about real estate and cash value life insurance. Perfect yeah, yeah. I, I can tell you have a passion for it. You have a passion for it. So Darren, thank you so much for doing this. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Tom. Hey everyone, so hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Darren Mitchell. You can reach out to his office at controlandcompound.com forward slash rockstar. That's controlandcompound.com forward slash rockstar. If you are looking for some real estate information specifically around the population growth in the Golden Horseshoe area here in Ontario, you can get the latest version of our population growth report at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash reports. Remember, we are doing all of this. Rockstar is a business. This the Your Life, Your Terms podcast because we want to live life on our terms and we want to help other people do it too. So that's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.